0: Listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday, where we're taking a look at theses from Walther, CFW Walther, first president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, as he gave lectures to individual students on Friday nights for almost over a year on the distinctions between law and gospel. In this particular program, though, I want to do the program in honor and remembrance of Paul McCain. Pastor Paul McCain, I got to know him when I was actually developing some books and publishing them for Robert Price at Concordia Theological Seminary. And when Paul was ordained, he took over the selling of those books. So I uh, made a trip and gave them all to him. And then I got to know him even more so when he became assistant to President Alberry, along with his good friend, Ken Sherb. Now, Ken Shurb is an officer in the Central Illinois District and is doing a very good job there in evangelism and helping congregations out. And at the funeral, which occurred yesterday, uh, President Matthew Harrison was the speaker and did the funeral sermon. And what I was particularly happy about was how often Dr. Berry mentioned baptism. He talked about baptism in result of things that had happened, of course, to Paul McCain. First of all, he congratulated his parents for having him baptized very early. And then, of course, he talked about how baptism was a wonderful gift to all of us, and he commended Paul and his marriage. His wife was very important to him. And as I'm thinking about this, I'm almost two decades older than Paul McCain, who died from a heart attack, And you just wonder, when's the Lord going to take us? Well, in this particular situation, nobody expected his death. In fact, uh, when the family had got home after being out the day before Thanksgiving, they found he had uh, died from the heart attack, and the funeral was yesterday. It got me thinking about other pastors that I know whose marriage are really good. I'm talking about not only those who helped me on KFUO, Wes Reimnitz, and Mark Smith, but then issues, etc. Jeff Schwartz, Todd Wilkin. They have tremendous wives they talk about. And then field workers I have that are in the St. Louis area, David Pelsu, Steve Reardon, and many others. And why am I talking about this is because C.F.W. Walter is ready to give thesis number 21, and he's doing it on September the 4th, 1885. But the previous thesis, number 22, was done on June the 19th. 1885. Why the long time between the two? Well, first of all, school was out at the seminary, and then next, unfortunately, CFW Walter's wife died during the summer. Emily Walter fell ill about six weeks after this last lecture in June And on Friday night, August the 21st, she suffered a series of attacks that lasted into Saturday morning. And Ferdinand Walter was at her side, weeping freely and expressing his wish that he had done more for her amid amid his busy schedule and remembered what each of our pastors that I just mentioned, the total devotion that our wives have had for us. And he described as his absolution, the selfless love in her eyes that she always had for him. So not long after, he begins talking about the 21st thesis. And just as Pastor Harrison mentioned baptism about five times in his sermon. That was a real comfort to CFW Walther also. He begins with an introduction, as he always does, and this was on September 4th, 1885. He says, he goes without saying that the first and the necessary qualification of a theologian is to have a complete, accurate, and clear knowledge of every single doctrine of divine revelation. Now, this particular evening, the notes that were written about what he said are not as long because he's also talking to new seminarians, new seminarians who just came to the seminary for the new year. And so what he does He goes through the previous 20 theses and describes a little bit about them, which, of course, is not printed in the evening lecture, but that's what he does. He also says there are mainly two additional requirements that a theologian needs. He needs to have a knowledge of how individual doctrines Relate to one another so he can make the proper application of each doctrine. And that's where we get into law and gospel. Uh, For example, uh, near her death, uh, the wife, what C.F.W. Walther did, he had a devotion, he had a prayer, and he gave her the Lord's Supper prior to her death. And I'm sure in his devotion, he applied the proper doctrines to her life to come. The second thing he says that a theologian needs is courage, love, and a liking for his theological calling. A doctor may know all sorts of medications, but if he ignorantly mixes them, Walter says, he neutralizes their strength. Similarly, Pastors or theologians who do not know which doctrines he may combine and which doctrines he must carefully keep separate may easily do a soul more harm than good. And of course, one of the requirements of a pastor is to be motivated by love and passion for his special work. He tells the seminarians on that Friday night, that they didn't come to the seminary to acquire knowledge of secular sciences, but for the purpose of being taught how to become familiar with doctrine, that in the first place brings you salvation. He says, based on the 25 theses, we only have five left, and they are quite important. And what he does, he kind of summarizes the first 20, to bring the new students somewhat up to date with what he had said. This is part of the introduction to thesis 21. So, he talks about there are some pastors who are hypocrites in the church. In other words, they really don't believe what they're preaching, but they're only there, he says, for maybe getting money. And he talks about the faith of hypocrites is like spring snow melting in the sun. So, he says, some Lutherans also believe, and this kind of ends thesis 20, that you're not a genuine Christian if you are not a member of the Lutheran church. Walter says, the Lutheran church does not make such claims but it does indeed teach people how to be justified, how to be saved by grace. And concludes the introduction. There are persons living among the sects who know the truth and may be better Christians than some Lutherans. Christ rules everywhere, even among his enemies. So that's a very important point. And I've talked about uh, knowing a Mormon family that after talking to them, they just sound very Lutheran because they're reading the scriptures. So we're ready to go into thesis 21. You are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God if you teach that the sacraments save ex opera operato, that is, that they are only working by their outward performance. This was a Roman Catholic error at the time of Luther that the sacraments mechanically benefit a person. And they consider a sacrament, though, the Lutherans, as a ceremony or work in which God presents to us what the promise of the ceremony offers. There was a heresy that is rejected by Walther, was called the Donatist heresy. And it said that the validity of the sacrament is based on the promise of the moral character of the priest. So if there was a priest that they discovered was not really a Christian, then all of the sacraments he administered were of no good. Now, Walter himself doesn't make the distinction I'm about to say, but it is found in other theologians. And I was taught it by uh, Robert Price and Martin Charlemagne and other seminary professors I had. And that's the distinction between a valid sacrament and an effective sacrament. And I do recall Paul McCain talking about that because many consider him to be a continuation of the Robert Price understanding of the Book of Concord. That's the confessions of the Lutheran Church. And if you ever listen to issues, etc., and Paul McCain was on there, you learn all kinds of things about the Book of Concord that are just not that obvious. So, remember... Twelve days after his wife died, Walter is now talking about this. We do not believe, teach, and confess that a sacrament is only valid if the priest is a proper Christian. We believe, teach, and confess that even if the priest is doing a sacrament and it's a proper sacrament... Well, what makes it a proper sacrament? It's what the church believes it to be. So in those churches that teach, for example, the Lord's Supper is not really the body and blood of Jesus Christ. They are not receiving the Lord's Supper. They're not receiving the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And therefore, it's an invalid uh, sacrament. Uh, for example, let's take baptism as an example. Uh, some children are in Sunday school. They hear about baptism. Uh, they see a baptism in church. That afternoon, they're playing in the schoolyard, maybe in the sand sandlot. And one of them says, look at Johnny here. He doesn't go to church. Let's baptize him. So the kids get some water, and they pour water over Johnny, and say, uh, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is an invalid baptism, because it is not done according to God's command. The parents don't know about it, and it's not done with a proper understanding of baptism. Therefore, a sacrament, first of all, needs to be valid, which means it needs to be done according to God's command. So when you say that the Lord's Supper is not the body and blood of Christ, that is an invalid sacrament. What makes the sacrament effective? That people receive it in faith. Now, why would someone come to the Lord's Supper if they didn't believe that it was the true body and blood of Christ? Well, the Prussian government from which the Lutherans fled uh, over there in Europe and came to the United States, they gave preferred government jobs only to people who were baptized Christians. And therefore, those people interested in such jobs often were baptized in Berlin. Now, they did not believe in baptism, but because the pastors who did the baptism were doing it so these individuals could get a job as a formality, the church actually received the nickname Taufhaus des Westens, which means the baptism emporium. So, these people We're not getting the effectiveness in the positive sense of baptism, like the Lord's Supper. If you go to a church that is doing a valid Lord's Supper, there are two results. If you don't believe it's truly the Lord's Supper and you take it, then you take it in a negative sense, where guess what happens? You end up receiving. Judgment. Some people were getting sick, according to 1 Corinthians 11. Some people were dying. So there was a kind of uh, result of taking the valid Lord's Supper, but it depended on the faith of the person who was taking it. The idea that you just come to the Lord's Supper and you're going to receive grace, Walter says is a godless and shameful teaching that diligently contradicts the word of God. And that's because you're looking at the Lord's Supper as a good work that you would do that would please God. Whereas in reality, you cannot perform any good work until you have been justified. So apart from faith, that's a real problem with taking the Lord's Supper and not believing what it is. Walter continues, the truth is your baptism and your holy communion will not help you if you do not approach them in faith. Uh, That's why for infants, there's a specific promise that an infant baptism a child receives both faith and the gift of the Holy Spirit. But when we baptize adults, we ask them certain questions and help them to understand what baptism really is. And in that way, they come to a proper understanding of it and receive it in faith. The same applies to the Lord's Supper. The Lord says, "Take eat, this is my body, which is given for you. It's a gift." And He says, "Take drink, the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins." These words open up the heaven full of divine grace to communicate, and to these words we direct our faith. So. The mere act of being baptized or going to the Lord's Supper does not in and of itself produce anything good in us apart from the faith that we have that we're receiving it because our sins are forgiven. It's kind of like what I've said about if you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, will you be saved? And my answer is you probably won't be. What? because that's not saving faith. That's historic faith. What saving faith is, is you believe he died on the cross to pay for my sins, and he rose from the dead for my justification. And we use adult instruction to help explain to a person what that means. So the mere act of believing the historical events in the scripture are not sufficient to save anybody. Even the demons believe Jesus rose from the dead, and the unbelieving Pharisees believe he rose from the dead, like he raised Lazarus from the dead. They simply thought it was a trick of Beelzebub. In fact, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to some of his disciples, and it says they doubted. That's going to be part of my sermon. Uh, then I am preaching like four times in the next few days for Advent, I'm going to be explaining that. So we have a Bible verse, Romans fourteen twenty three. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And that's really important to understand. So it's a godless doctrine to think that You can take the sacraments and everything's going to be okay apart from faith. The Word of God does not benefit a person who does not believe. When we urge people to believe in their baptism, what we mean is that they are to believe their Heavenly Father who has attached a glorious promise to baptism. And that's also what we say about the Lord's Supper. To take the Lord's Supper effectively means, first of all, to be in a church where it's an actually valid Lord's Supper. And then through faith, believe what Jesus says take and eat, take and drink for the forgiveness of your sins. So faith needs to be present. And that's why prior to like the Lord's Supper, we always have a confession of our sins because that is the preparation we do for receiving the gift of the forgiveness of sins. That's a wonderful, wonderful gift. Therefore, we Lutherans do not encourage people to be converted just because they take the Lord's Supper. We practice what's called close or closed communion. Why? Because we want people not to receive the negative impact of taking the Lord's Supper in an inappropriate way or a wrong way, that is, by not believing the Word of God. So when we say you should take comfort in your baptism, that is the same thing as saying you need to turn to Jesus Christ, hear his promises. Because there are people who may imagine that they are believers when they are not believers. And therefore, the smallest affliction can put an end to their faith. So we see with C.F.W. Walter, as we heard in Matthew Harrison's funeral sermon, that baptism is really important because it is an assurance that when we're baptized properly and through faith receive the promises that therefore heaven is our home. And that's the comfort that was given not only to the family of Paul McCain, but also to all of the congregation that were gathered together at the Concordia Seminary Chapel for yesterday's sermon. That concludes Thesis 20. And next week, our Thesis 21, I should say, uh, next week there's still more. That Walter wants to say about Thesis 21, so we'll continue that next Wednesday. Tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Wes Reimnitz will have a subject that we pray you will find very interesting. I'm Tom Baker. God bless you.